0: This is Thinking Out Loud, a podcast about current events and Christian hope. Have a hard time putting those two things together? You're not alone. Our timelines may be filled with bad news, but Christ remains on his throne. So what does it mean to live in the light of that truth rather than the shadow of our never-ending dumpster fires? That's the question animating this conversation between Nathan Rittenhouse and Cameron McAllister, two Christian apologists who believe that true hope and realism go hand in hand. So let's think out loud together about current events and Christian hope.
1: Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse.
2: And I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister.
1: Cameron, there is a, a topic that I think has been floating in the air for a couple millennia now, but <laughs> very clearly in the last two years of uh American life no global life let's go ahead and put it out there Global life and you and I have talked about some of this in the past and I had a, a fun conversation about this with a friend of mine uh, earlier in the week and the topic and the concept is risk how do we think about risk? oh wow risk and yeah and and there's so much to this of just so I think yeah immediately you can begin to see some connections here with well, uh, I don't know. So, would you say? Would you say you know people? who well, here life can that I... take risk? Yeah, help me, help me, help me find a direction to start <laughs> sure. in on this because there are numerous ways to do it.
2: Yeah, let, let me. Well, let me start us with with a personal story that might that might orient us a little bit. So, the other day, our son was sent home from school because he was quote sick and. I was obviously concerned, as any parent is, and, you know, there were, there were concerns over, you know, what, is, is he running a fever, anything like that. And, of course, this kicks into your brain. Immediately, your worry is, well, does, does, my, does my kid have COVID? Is this, is this the beginning of that? And comes home turns out he is a mistake. Clearly a a mistake was made. He's not sick at all. He comes galloping right into the house and immediately starts tormenting his sister, which is a surefire sign that he's feeling just fine. (laughs) And he starts eating like a horse and he's running around everywhere. So, I mean, we kept him home for the rest of the day. And now he did have, he has a little bit of a cough. Do you know any little child on the planet that doesn't have a cough right now (laughs) or have a runny nose or... So not to downplay any of these symptoms, but what I think has was the case was, first of all, probably just a, a mistake was made. But also, there's a growing squeamishness about any kind of illness whatsoever showing up in the classroom, obviously, because we're dealing with a pandemic right now. But, you know, because we, we were talking to some other friends of ours and they said, oh, yeah, schools are just way more touchy now about running noses. And I mean, the thought just occurred to me, I don't know. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, people would just laugh at you if you sent a kid home for these kinds of minor symptoms. So something has definitely changed. I think in our well, just so, in our overall assessment of of not yeah, risk, just safety in general, yeah.
1: So something has has definitely changed and I think that is where the conversation gets interesting because on one hand we like to think that there's kind of a great uniformity among humanity but all of us in almost every category of our lives have variables that are unique to who we are. So my situation is different than your situation in, in many aspects and elements of life. And so what we start doing is, um, when we start to generalize risks, then there are people who actually aren't at risk who are going to be, um, Put upon, So to speak to change their behavior for the people who actually are at risk and there are people who don't think they're at risk who probably are at risk who are probably going to be saved some difficulty because somebody else is taking it more seriously. And so it's at this intersection of our own personal variables and the real dangers that the world presents to us that a whole number of fascinating um, topics arise. So I don't know where we want to go with that, but uh, I'd love to, I'd love to hash this out a little bit.
2: Well, let's dissect what you just said for a second. So let's, let me, let me try to put this into non mathematical terms or non risk analysis terms for just a second. It seems that part of what you're, you're getting at is we have a temptation right now, and this is probably a modern tick. I'm tempted to actually say a modern pathology where we, we can't really think in local terms about risk. We tend to think in really either global or expansive terms, or we, we, we tend to think we need a one-size-fits-all solution. And when it comes to the specifics of our individual lives, especially if we're talking about something like health, you really have to think in terms of your own community. So in other words, if you're going to have some massive top down solution, a one size fits all proposal, there's no way it can possibly fit in with every single community or address the needs of every single community in a holistic fashion because those needs are going to be diverse. And so is that a fair way of kind of traversing a little bit of what you were getting at there, Nathan?
1: No, yeah, I think I think that's the the proper Way to do that, you know. We've joked about that before in the past, um, and I'm not applying this to COVID in particular, but just risk analysis in general. Of there are some situations where living on the East Coast, I could be, I could look and say, "Oh, it's it's raining in Seattle. I better take an umbrella when I go outside." Well, no, it's not raining where I am. I need to look out the window and make that calculation, or look at my local weather report. And so the media, as you're saying, does tend to localize global events. And vice versa. Take something that's happening in a specific spot. Um, you know, living in West Virginia, my um, risk of shark bite is very low, right? <laughs> so if I, you know, if I lived on the southern cape of Africa, it, it would be very different. And so there is a, a time in which we need to balance out what the actual relative risk to us as individuals is, depending on our our variables and our circumstance. That being said, I think one of the things that makes it challenging to do that is that when we look at things on a global scale, for example, something like COVID, um, it's very hard to hold some of these numbers in our mind. Uh, so for example, I could ask you, can you visualize 100 as a number in your head, in your mind? So I'm, I'm not thinking of one, zero, zero, but can you picture in your mind a grid of like 10 dots by 10 dots? And I think most of us, yeah. We can do that. Okay, now picture in your mind 330 million. Now, picture in your mind uh, 7 billion people. Um, <laughs> picture in your mind 3.5 trillion. Um, w- when we start moving things up to a, a global number in size, it becomes far more difficult for us to see how, how events play into the actual relative risk for me Um, in my life and so that's there's a limitation here a to how we can so there. oh, oh this is interesting so there's a limit to how a particular human can visualize their relative size to the rest of humanity and you combine that with the fascinating thing that technology allows us to have access to many of the variables of humanity and it puts us in a very difficult situation to accurately judge risk. Based off of stories,
2: yeah, that's a fascinating conundrum, and it seems you know a, a phrase that's coming to mind for me right now. Come, that is, I think it was coined by Alan Jacobs in his book *Breaking Bread with the Dead*. But he co- he has this concept in there that he talks about called informational triage, and he he calls to mind yeah. So that's a that's a French word, and he kind of he helps to. Hmm to fill in the picture for us again of triage and classically the the way that was understood was you practice triage of course on a battlefield and it would look to, to the soldiers who were being treated, this, this triage, these triage units could look pretty ruthless because what was, they were, they were limited on resources and medical supplies. So what had to happen was you had to make a very quick snap judgment on which soldiers needed immediate treatment and those who could wait. And so if somebody had life-threatening wounds or injuries, you immediately treat them and then you push the other guys, even if they're seriously injured to the side. So that kind of a picture applies to the way we have to sift information right now, says Jacobs, because there's such a surplus of it. So you mentioned massive numbers, you know, in the millions and the billions, which are routinely thrown around on on the news and how those basically they, they push into a into a field of almost pure abstraction it's not it's not possible for us to to really get a hold of them in a firm or a humane way certainly but also when you have a flood of all of that compounding the problem is this it, you you simply can't manage all of these spinning plates at once so you practice informational triage and you try to attend to whatever's most pressing and push the other stuff to the side in an, in an effort just to basically <laughs> save yourself from growing crazy all the time. I think that sounds like a pretty... Now, part of the issue is we do this to ourselves, right? We take in too much. If there's an information... Go on. Yeah, I mean, if there's an information surplus, why are we always doom scrolling all the time? I and mean, one of the answers there is, of course, we're addicted. We get addicted to our devices which are by the way incidentally i mean a lot of the tech writers we like have, have pointed out their 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 basic model the scrolling model is a slot machine if that tells you anything <laughs> so there's a whole bunch of diff- there's a whole bunch of different factors coming into play but it also contributes to a real sense of anxiety all the time because there's just so much going on and a sense of unrest and we tend to then just sort of gravitate toward those voices that we that we that resonate best with us sometimes this is i think from a psychological standpoint very understandable we're just trying to get a little peace of mind in the midst of all of this and yet we sort of (laughs) compound the problem by by taking in more and more so at the moment i don't think we're we're resolving anything we're talking about risk in really broad terms i mean there's the there's the shifting sands of protocol on the one hand. Let's let's relate this just explicitly to, to COVID right now, because that's the most immediate event on the horizon. Mm-hmm. There's there's the protocol nightmare. There's our overall our inability in some ways to look past a global perspective, quote, but a, a, a global perspective is not actually even really possible. I don't know. <laughs> Because in the end, you can't speak from anywhere but from the place that you actually are, and so a, a global perspective is just gonna—it's gonna cloud your judgment on what is actually needed in your immediate vicinity and what your circumstances demand.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and that's not but to say that. But there's also
2: hovering over this a kind, yeah.
1: Well, I was just gonna say, not not—we want to be careful and put a caveat here. It's not to say that global things don't. Then impact my life. You know, if there's a huge thunder cloud uh, on the radar to the west of where I live, it's not raining where I am right now, but it's about to be raining very hard in the near future. So there are global trends that I just don't want anybody here saying that that doesn't matter. But you need to take into account what that mm. trend actually is and whether or not that is actually going to impact you, I think. So sorry, I interrupted you there.
2: Oh, no, you're fine. Yeah. I mean, so the. <laughs> The thinking about risk, though, that that, what's what's troubling to me here is that so much of what seems to be steering our considerations here has to do with an absolutely earth shattering fear of death. And that that's something that's unique to the modern world, but it's it's actually not something that's a a Christian habit of (laughs) mind. So maybe we go there.
1: Yeah, let's so let's go there. I was just looking quickly. Um, there's I actually had a concordance here on my desk, a biblical concordance. You know, you can look up and see when a word is used. Risk does not appear in most translations of the Bible, Old or New Testament. There are a couple times where English translations use the word risk, but if you look at it in an original language, that's not really the idea. Um, because, and this this plays into what you're you're saying, is that. Death is not conceived of as the worst possible thing in the Bible. So even in the Old Testament, before you have sort of a well-developed concept of the resurrection or eternal life, uh, there were people who chose death with honor over um, just staying alive. And so there, there were higher standards for behavior than death. Uh, and so that seems to me to be the risk analysis part that, of course, you have Jesus famously speaking on, you know, don't worry about, you know, what shall we eat? What shall we wear? The pagans worry about these things. Hey, if God can clothe the flowers of the field and feed the sparrows, eh, you're probably going to be all right. More difficult task, seek first the kingdom. Um, yeah, th- I, I, yeah, I want to explore this idea more because I think you're absolutely right, is that this encroaching concept of death being the worst thing that could happen to a person is the meta-narrative that has taken over our global conversation on all activities. And that's not to say that we shouldn't avoid death. <laughs> you know, we don't want to be flipping about it. On the other hand, we should explore for a moment if there are worse things than dying.
2: You know, and just as an aside, you mentioned some of those famous sayings of Jesus. The If you look at many of jesus's (laughs) sayings and advice about especially those about not worrying they all will make a whole lot more sense if you subtract the idea that death is the worst thing that can happen to you just try that on for size if you're reading your bible yeah if you're reading through the, the because that is so if if you operate Let me. So let's reverse that, though. If you operate with that assumption that death is the worst thing that can happen to you and to a person, and by the way, that is a major default setting for most of us in and outside the church. It's not necessarily the right one, but it's a big default setting. If that's your guiding assumption, then Jesus is going to look crazy. Or it's going to look like he's setting some kind of mystical, symbolic, or just absolutely impossible standard. This is why Dallas Willard actually has an entire message that he gave on this that he retitled, Is Jesus Nuts? <laughs> and that's what he's getting at. He said, if, if you if you think death is the worst thing that can happen to you, then yeah, you're probably going to think he's crazy. So anyway, that's, that's just something to try on for size as you look at those passages.
1: Well, and as an aside, and we should go back and talk about this some other time, is that death being the worst case scenario becomes the default... Uh, foundation for most modern ethics. Yep. And so actually when you, when you remove death as the worst possible thing, it really frees you up as a Christian to be far more adventurous with your life. Um, and, And so there are, this is where I think it's interesting. People did risky things in the new Testament for sure. And there were times that people worried, you know, you have people weeping when Paul leaves because this is probably the last time they're going to see them. Um when John the Baptist tells Herod off about his illegitimate marriage, those are risky things like you would put that in the category of of risky uh Philip chasing a horse uh, and chariot, you know uh fill in the blank all kinds of things that um lowering Paul through a window in a basket um but there jesus Jesus died from a preventable death. Yeah, he didn't have to do that.
2: And the, yeah, the Gospel of John so, John goes to great pains to to emphasize that he willingly gives up his life. Nobody takes it from him. That's worth point, yeah adding that there.
1: Yeah. So 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 here's the difference, though. That I think you have to have, um, or, or answer this question for me because I'm just thinking of this while I'm saying it. Do you have to have these two things together? You see, very high risk. Or you, you see dangerous behavior happen in the New Testament that's not considered high risk because there's a high degree of certainty that that is what God is asking them to do. And then they just do it and let the cards fall as they may. Maybe they'll live, maybe they won't. Maybe, you know, Paul kind of has this like the prerequisite for start planting a church is getting beaten in the head in the street. Um, you know, so there's a high, de- so if you combine a high degree of certainty that you're doing what God is asking you to do, how does that relate to, using death as the backstop for making decisions. So if you aren't certain that there's a plan and a purpose and a sovereign God, then death actually, I guess, is the worst thing that could happen to you. So help me think through that a second. You see, Do you see the right. connection I'm trying to make there between clarity on God's sovereignty, purpose, will, and how we see the value of our lives? I think so.
2: I mean, last in the last episode, we talked about, you referenced Charles Taylor's imminent frame. You know, really, essentially, the, the notion that the world that we have around us is all that there is. So if, if your experience is, is limited just to your earthly experience, then losing that is to literally lose everything. And I think we get co-opted. Mm-hmm in the church into thinking that as well. We I mean the same the same kind of thinking. And again, it's worth emphasizing here. We're not being flippant about death, but I I actually want to I don't want to try to put a neat bow on this one because the Bible is actually a little bit flippant about death. In the sense that it doesn't well, it's going to appear flippant to us modern folks. I mean even Somebody like you mentioned mm-hmm. the apostle, the apostle Paul, who went through you know floggings and, and all and and all sorts of I mean ultimately um, death, of course. Paul can call all of this momentary light affliction. So that sounds flippant to me in some ways, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. I mean that in the sense that death just doesn't have the sort of potency for people who are assured of christ's reign and sovereignty they've got a kind of peace there and i think it's important that if we we talk about when we're talking about risk in a biblical sense at least and we need to we'll we'll start talking about some specifics here of what we're dealing with now let's we'll talk about vaccine mandates and possible vaccines for our kids and all of that because those are very real risks looming on the immediate horizon but part of part of what we need to do i think is also recognize that biblically speaking riskiness does not equate to recklessness so the behaviors that you you've described
1: that's a good distinction
2: yeah i mean it, 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 they would they would appear to me if if you're trying to save your own skin or if you're trying to prevent any kind of harm to yourself or to others then some of the, some of the events that you referenced will look a little bit reckless now, they're not because the main thrust of the whole New Testament is that the Lord is in control and we've been reconciled to our heavenly father. We have nothing to fear, nothing at all. And you, I mean, again, we talked about this on the last episode, but the picture that comes to mind for me is so many, so much of this, of course, we're drawing from the book of Acts because that's the, that's the beginning of the the church church in its infancy. But I think of Stephen, As he's being stoned and as he Mm -hmm. beholds this heavenly vision, even as his life, his earthly life is being taken from him, his eternal security is basically unfolding right before his eyes. And it's that stark contrast there. And it's that in that we see, I mean, there's a clear, there's just a clear kind of question on what you, (laughs) what you really believe and where you really think your security lies. I think that's a a huge, big consideration here. But yeah, riskiness in the biblical sense does not equate to recklessness at all. But I think a lot of the behavior in, in Scripture would be translated by modern folks as totally reckless.
1: So I think that's absolutely true, everything you just said. However, I would like to ask you, do you think some of this is personality? The, because yeah. there are people that I know that are very cautious. Um, I grew, and, and maybe it's because I didn't have access to the statistical data, but I can look back at my childhood and think of a long list of things that um, I thought my childhood was normal. And then when I got to college and started talking about it, people said, you should write a book titled I Almost Died When. Um, because I was... Involved in a lot of stuff with my brothers that for us was highly entertaining, but it turns out that you know soaking softballs in kerosene and lighting them on fire and playing ball games at night carries some inherent risk with them. Um And so if you are, so this was not the, yeah. So I, I have to I have to yeah. Kind of try Nathan
2: to, Nathan was not part of the the coddling ahead, ahead. of the American mind or the the safetyism net of <laughs> if if you haven't noticed.
1: <laughs> yeah. well Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. My my mother said in hindsight and reflecting on it that they were um very protective of our minds, but not so much our bodies. Which she wasn't saying that was a good thing or a bad thing, it was just a reflection, and, and that's just, why we rode dirt bikes and you know, our helmets and built our own zip well, lines just and all a kinds quick, of things. Quick question but, then for you. Yeah. I
2: mean, how many how many broken bones have you suffered? I'm just curious.
1: Do you have a count? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever tallied? Um, no, I don't. No, it's, it's a couple. No, no, very, very few stitches and very few broken bones for somebody who uh, has gone through a lot of the things that I've been through. So, um, well, let, and same thing for my oh, for my brothers as well. Okay, we, let, we well, lest we had some great adventures and and live to tell about them.
2: Well, okay, lest it lest it sound like I'm criticizing written house mama here. Let me let me incriminate myself and my wife actually this is this is a statement we made before our son was born when when heather when heather was pregnant with him we said look it may go against some of our, our kind of you know modern instincts right now but we are going to allow this kid to break his bones he can, he can fall out of a tree and break his arm we want him to have an actual childhood. We want him to have a massive sky above him. We want him to, you know, fall down in the woods and, and basically just to, to have to have a real childhood. But we, we kinda had that. We didn't voice it as elegant elegantly as your mom did, but we're a whole lot more protective of his mind and his heart. Now don't get me wrong, we we, we are careful and we do try to be judicious in our parenting but at the same time part of how dylan is going to learn about the physical boundaries of the world and his own physical limitations is through trial and error (laughs) i mean that's why when we brought dylan to his pediatrician when he was when he was little that you know he would look at the his his beat up legs with the you know with scar you know lacerations and bruises and he would note them approvingly saying okay good he's he's learning he's growing he's he's falling down that's what we want
1: <laughs>
2: so there's there's but I
1: yeah so okay so what we're saying though is, is humanity is fragile fragile but I also I think it's worth bringing back what. Or we're breakable. Well, we're breakable, but it's also
2: worth bringing back what you said earlier because it's very—it's a very sensitive point about personality, and it's a good one, and we sh- and we should note it. I think some people, for some people, responsibility is is a very cherished value, and that's part of their. Not only is that part of their wiring, it's part of their gifting, and also I think part of their calling. And so for those folks, I think they're going to maybe be a little bit more vigilant with their kids running around in the yard than say then then I would perhaps and that's not necessarily a bad thing that is that's a difference in temperament but that's also because this is part of the reason why of why we need each other as human beings we all bring different gifts to the table but nevertheless, I think the broader point that we're making about Christians, in a healthy frame of mind, recognizing that death is not the worst thing that can happen to you still stands. So you can still, in other words, you can still have that disposition toward really cherishing and esteeming responsibility as a, as a value, and not and and still recognize that death is not the worst thing that can happen to a person. So I, I think that's a that's an important footnote, but it doesn't change the essential point that's being made here.
1: Okay, I think
2: yes, if that. If that makes sense.
1: No, that's that's great. That's helpful to me. Um, so let me ask you this question: As a Christian, what should I be afraid of?
2: That I think that's the that's the more important one. Um, I mean, u- ultimately, you <laughs> losing your heart to the wrong thing.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So false worship,
2: falling in love with the wrong thing, false worship. Yes, De- devoting your life to the wrong thing, which is anything. Yes. Other than God,
1: it's it's a real biblical possibility and category that you would waste your life. Yes, it absolutely is. Um, and the, the but see, okay, so now that we've got that hammered out, let's
2: let's. <laughs> yeah, but the but the practical outworkings of that are pretty. Again, it it's gonna the practical outworkings of, of how you answer that question are gonna force your hand a little bit on where your heart really lies because if you if you think that the the worst thing that can happen to you is that you devote your, your whole life to the wrong thing, then that means that you're going to follow, if you take that seriously, you'll follow Christ no matter what. And that might translate into something that would run against your own personal sensibilities, your own sense of fear, your own sense of risk, <laughs> your own sense of what you want to do even. It will run counter to your wishes. Now, I happen to think that Mm -hmm. our own wishes are incredibly meager and superficial and small. And what the Lord has in mind for us so vastly exceeds them. But it takes some refining of your perspective to get there. And initially, it's going to hurt. I mean, it's not for nothing that Jesus says, nobody who, you know, the only people who are worthy to follow me are those who take up their crosses, it means something to take up your cross. Living a life of self-sacrifice doesn't, it's not, it doesn't come, it's not the natural inclination of our cultural moment, that's for sure. And so, yeah, you, if if that's, if you look at fear, the the greatest fear that way, you may not live your best life now (laughs) in cultural terms. In fact, you almost certainly won't. So that's (laughs) where, it's worth pointing that out too.
1: Okay, so let's, so let's bracket that for a second, because that's going to be an important underlying feature of my next question to you, which is, so this, this is a conversation I've been having with several people my age as it then turns into vaccine mandates and that sort of thing. Um, how, do, how do we make decisions, so this could be risk analysis or just decisions in general, where there aren't clear... Um, spiritual guidelines and, and frameworks of reference for doing something. Yep. So let's, let's, so I know multiple people who work in a medical profession who are young, very healthy, unvaccinated, have the antibodies, um, have worked full time through the pandemic. And now all of a sudden you have to have the vaccine who would come back and say, um, If we look at just the CDC numbers and the available information we have, I am not a threat to anybody else and they are not a threat to me. This mandate feels not only like you're squeezing me out of a job, but maybe of a profession if I say no to this because we can't receive Medicare-funded payments uh, from anybody who's providing medical care if they're not vaccinated. So effectively, if I say no to this mandate, this is the end of my career. I'm done for. That feels like a very heavy top-down federal statement, right? That somebody could effectively say, do this or else, when the government statistics themselves maybe don't support what the government says. So the question here is...
2: And by the way, this is not abstract for Nathan and I. We both have family members in this position right now, by the way.
1: Yeah, right. So So the question then becomes is... Is, is there a is there a point where this is a spiritual issue or or the way that i make this decision means that i'm being faithful to the lord or not or as one person said is this just me being squirrely about my basic concepts of freedom and federal government and individual rights that i think is the the thing to wrestle with so i don't know how are you, how are how are we to process that right i'm very aware it- because on one hand we want to say that everything we want to say on one hand we want to say everything all we have to take every thought captive and make it you know conform to the pattern of Christ on the other hand this one might not result in us making a decision that makes sense to us politically or spiritually I don't know I'm trying to work out the tension there
2: yeah I mean there there's a big tension there in general in life I mean you you want to take every captive <laughs> every thought captive and make every you know basically work it all out in fear and trembling and think of your salvation. But I mean, do you, do you use that same reasoning as you're ordering a diet Coke at a fast food joint? I mean, it's a strange, (laughs) it's a strange kind of, you know, when you, when you step into Walmart, wait, do I really want to go into this great, big, huge corporation? And now how does my biblical thinking guide me here? And there's something that sounds inherently goofy about that construction. But on the other hand, I think it just points to sort of a basic tension of life. I mean, and that is we we have to live our lives in this kind of confronting the specific circumstances of our of our own of our own lives in our own communities. But so, just noting that that it's a tension and it takes us and it sounds a little goofy sometimes when we articulate it in certain ways. But on the other hand, I'm deeply wary of thinking in some kind of compartmentalized fashion about my convictions my christian convictions because i don't want to fall prey to the basically typical modern habit in the church of thinking well there's you know there's matters of my spiritual life and those belong in church and all of those kind of churchy and ecclesial circles and then there's the real world over here I don't recognize that divide at all Mm -hmm. so that that in that sense I don't I I don't want to point I don't want to put impose any kind of an artificial division between my my convictions and my spiritual life and my just my life as I live it that that distinction is not isn't there and I don't I don't agree with it but on the other hand we have to admit that we don't have specific part one of the the troubles that we have with god's word sometimes is that it doesn't give us specific protocol <laughs> for all of our current cultural practices all right we don't have anything on there about what what we should watch you know what we can drink specifically or vaccine mandates and that kind of government control or the risk of maybe giving of an an FDA approved, but still novel drug to our kids, all of that. So, so
1: there's an interest, interesting thought here. Let me just, just squeeze in there. So yeah, we don't always have a detailed plan, or scripture doesn't always give us you know, a step-by-step schematic of, of uh, discerning how to behave in a certain issue. But I think a little bit of what we're trying to do on this podcast is look at what are the bigger themes at play here, because scripture does speak to those. And as somebody, and I, and I would want to point out, I think that the vast majority of the people that I know who are in the situations we're talking about are not anti-vaccine, have been vaccinated against every other thing um, in life, and would maybe say, yeah, it's the same reason I haven't gotten the chicken pox vaccine, I had that when I was five, and I'm I'm good to go. Um, so it's not it's not an, an anti-vax as a conspiracy kind of concept. It's a a question of. And and this is so here's here's a tricky balance. There are people who are wrestling with this because they're afraid of COVID. So that's one thing that we're pointing out. But there is also another category of people who are doing the exact same thing. They're making decisions because they're afraid of the vaccine. And so and you th- can be operating out of fear on both sides of this issue.
2: And a third there are people who are afraid of government overreach here as well.
1: Oh, yeah, very good. Okay, so we've got three big fears. What are the relative risks of each of them?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and I think, well, it's helpful sometimes just to get those down on paper. So those are, I would say those are the three main sources of contention and fear, and also cultural division here. You, if you want to quibble a little bit, you might add, you might add major distrust of our institutions. That sort of falls under the government overreach, but specifically, I'm thinking Mm. of science there's, there's, there's all sorts of fascinating, you know, kind of side questions about our our modern views of science. By the way, there are some people. Oh, probably, yeah, that's a whole other topic. It, it we, let's talk about that sometimes, some point, because it seems like some people see scientists as, you know, magicians, and others who see them as kind of evil sorcerers or charlatans. And but, but th- those three fears. Here's one thing that we do have. A command for. We are to do everything to the glory of God. And our supreme ethic is to love the Lord with all that we are and to love our neighbor as ourself. And so I'm going to say something that I think might be tough, not for us and not necessarily for our audience, but tough because given the format of a kind of talk show or a podcast like this. But remember, we're weird. We're not here to give you our you know, firmly stamped opinion or any kind of official position. We're not, we're not going to insult your intelligence and tell you how to think we're, we're, we're journeying with you. We're guiding in contemplation. Good Christian people are going to come to, they're going to reach different conclusions on some of these issues. Mm -hmm. Good Christian people are going to reach differing conclusions on vaccine mandates, good, christian men and women are going to reach different conclusions on on how to deal with kids and the risks posed to them in the pandemic and good christian people are going to reach differing conclusions about the government's role in all of this and we need to we we desperately need to recognize that fact that different people are going to come down differently here and that doesn't Mean that we can then cut them off, or that they we view them as enemies. Yeah, I could stop there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, no. So I was just thinking as you're saying that you know there's a a fascinating um, way in which our let's speak as Americans here our modern American experience plays into this. One is first of all that we live in a time in which vaccines are available. So one fast is that. <laughs> one is that we live in a culture where we assume it's normal for Christians to have a say in what their government does. Mm. Um, Cause that hasn't been normal either. Uh, so is, is there, there's some, you know, Paul, you know, Paul and Peter aren't having a powwow thinking about government overreach um, <laughs> because it's pretty much assumed that the government is, is not on their side. Um, getting beheaded is a, is a government overreach. I'll go out. Go ahead and say that one. Um, so, so we have some unique freedoms and some unique opportunities that then pre- present 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 unique challenges for us. in thinking through some of these, but let me just let me just clarify what you're saying there because I think that's a helpful distinction. That we're we're basically breaking. Well, it's not it's not three neat categories because you can be afraid of multiple things at once. But we're looking at f- fear of COVID. Fear of the vaccine, fear of government overreach. Um, And I think that's, yeah, I just want to say that's a helpful framework for me to process the different ways that people are are doing, are dealing with things. Um, And I can see combinations of the two. The, the total worst case scenario would be somebody who's afraid of all three of those. But I think that's a fairly minor percentage of our total population right now. Um, That would just be my guess.
2: And hovering over all of this is you can you can parse all the numbers you want about risk. You can and some and sometimes this can this can sound extremely insensitive because you are you are dealing with of course individual lives. And at this point, with as many people who have lost their lives, nearly all of us know somebody affected by COVID or who have or have lost people. So I mean, it's it's that that there's there's that as well, but when we when we think about it the very real there's an unpredictable element here i mean i personally know of some cases where somebody lost their life and on paper they should not have lost their life does that make sense they didn't they didn't mm-hmm. fit into any of the categories that would put them at high risk and nevertheless they did now in a in a kind of you can sort of opt for a clinical or analytic frame of mind and say, well, yes, but obviously there were things that there were variables there that weren't accounted for. And there are always variables. But again, we're talking about human beings, but all that to say, you might die. (laughs) And that's, I mean, I don't know if you remember, there was a, there was a CDC, I think it was a CDC health, health briefing. And I think this was in the early stages of, of kind of, I think 2020 and one of the scientists just kind of let slip this sort of. It was a really remarkable moment. He just said, "Well, I mean, of course you're, you're, we're all going to die eventually." And it was this. It was it was a sort of wide-eyed, scandalous moment. But we well, and we you know are, it's true
1: because the CDC said it.
2: Yeah. So I mean, officially, I mean, if, if, if Dr. Fauci <laughs> says we're going to die, they have spoken. But I mean, so. I think the the old specter of of death which was probably kept at bay in many ways I mean it's it's easier to avoid the, the the topic of death and deny death when you're not in the midst of a global pandemic. I think that has brought to light kind of that age-old fear once again. I mean people are afraid of dying all you know of course in normal times but this kind of just spelled death in massive letters across our screens. And a lot of us had to say, oh my goodness, I this I might die in the midst of all of this. And I think that's, oh, that's just, yeah.
1: So what's new about this is the pervasiveness of all of our vulnerabilities to this. So in the past, you might have uh, subsets of people who are at a higher risk for all types of individual things. I still haven't worked it out, but I enjoy riding a bicycle. People know that I enjoy riding a bicycle. And every time that somebody who knows me knows somebody or hears of somebody who got killed riding a bicycle, they call me and tell me about it. And I'm always, thanks, I guess, um, you know, now that being said, my relative risk of dying from a bicycle crash is triple my risk of dying from COVID. But the, like the whole globe doesn't think in terms of what's my risk of dying from a bicycle crash. So, There's a unique, there's a a subset of the American population that rides bicycles. There's a subset that are susceptible to collapses in coal mines. There's a subset who's susceptible to um, pick your occupation or your hobby. And that's unique to you. What COVID has done is it's given all of us access to being susceptible to the same type of risk. And so I think that's why it rightly captures the headlines is because not only are we, all all going to die but we all have the theoretical potential of contracting the same virus
2: that is a fascinating point so in this sense we are all riding the same bicycle
1: <laughs> yes that's what i was trying to say
2: that's good that's that actually is incredibly helpful and brilliant nathan although i don't don't take that to heart too much but also i, w- I wondered nathan what, what's the relative risk of serious injury if you are riding a bicycle with only one wheel uh, well,
1: I have four unicycles, so <laughs> I, I got, I'm, I've got my bases covered on that one. Um, right. So I, I wear a helmet when I ride a bike, but here's the thing. Let me tell you a story about r- risk. So I grew up not wearing a helmet when I rode a bike or an eight foot unicycle or a dirt bike or jumping a dirt bike or jumping a dirt bike with two people on it. Um, so there are lots of times that I could have cracked my head. Uh, when I graduated from college, I was commuting to work. On my bicycle. And actually, the guy who was the head chef of the food services manager and at the college one day stopped me and he said, Nathan, every morning I see you riding your bike to work. And he said, I think you've been given a beautiful mind and you should think about protecting it. And within like two weeks, uh, my mother in law gave me a bicycle helmet for my birthday. And within uh, just a few weeks of that, I was involved in a massive accident that involved me being life flighted, um, because you can't take out a Jeep with a bicycle. Um, and it was, it was one of those where the fire department came and sprayed my blood off the road kind of thing. So this was not like falling over and scratching your handlebar. This was a, this was a good, um, crash. And I was six days in ICU. And if I had not taken the advice, and if I had not received the gift and put the helmet on and worn it, this podcast very likely would not be happening right now. So there are times at which we can recognize risk in other people's lives and do things that prevent them from a very painful or or future. So if we are participating in things that have a risk to them and we, we do that knowing the risk. Now, that being said, I didn't stop riding my bicycle. In fact, I wrecked my bicycle again like three weeks later while I still had my jaw wired shut, um, which is not a good idea, but I wasn't supposed to be driving because of medication. So I figured, hey, let's try the bicycle again. Um, and I've I broken arm this summer. I've bled in 13 different places on a different bike wreck this summer. Um, maybe I shouldn't ride a bike, but the positive benefits that it has for me and what I enjoy doing with my friends and my family outweighs the risk, and I'm, and I'm taking a chance in doing that. And I'm recognizing that I'm doing that. Um, So that's not to to say that we don't, you have to recognize risk in order to take precautions. I wear safety equipment when I'm operating a chainsaw Um, because you don't usually cut yourself with a chainsaw when you live two hours from a hospital in a way that turns out to be great. Um, So we all have to look at our own situations and make decisions based off of that um, but I think some of this comes down to what is the worst case scenario. I, I actually don't wear sunscreen when I walk from my house to my car because the relative risk of getting sunburned in that amount of distance is, is fairly low. So that's, that's the type of question that we, I'm, I'm not anti risk assessment here. And Cameron and I certainly aren't being flipping about death or saying, ah, just, you know, YOLO, um, <laughs> you only live once, go for it, do whatever. um, but what are what are we saying? That there's there's a a fullness to human life that we're going to miss if we try to calculate all of our risks and live in fear of the theoretical what ifs that statistically probably aren't going to do the th- be the thing that kills that does me in.
2: Yeah, and I think there's so much more that could be said. We might actually want to continue this conversation on another podcast, depending on what our listeners think, but I think that picture that you've given us, that very vivid and visceral and brutal picture, Nathan, is actually a very helpful one. And yeah, the whole time I was you were telling that story, I was thinking about the fact that, and you, you continue to ride on your bicycle, and... I don't think it's reckless of you to do so. I think we want to, we want to, we don't want to live our lives in in total fear. We don't want to be flippant about it either. So much of being a human being, and being a responsible Christian, is striking a balance there. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it's. I'll, I'll just. I think this will. We can make this the closing thought here. I think the the one. The one definitive factor that we've we've kind of identified here is as, as speaking as two Christians, and this is one that we're I'm personally growing into, and I venture to guess that Nathan is as well, but the fear of death should not be a dominant force in our lives. And again, I, I'm growing in that. That I struggle with that as well. But that once that is through the power of of Christ and his spirit, once that is addressed. And, and really we, we experience, we can push past that, there's an amazing liberty that we can discover, and it frees us up to take risks in a responsible way that also doesn't keep us paralyzed.
1: Yeah, thank you, Cameron. And I think there's one other thing. It doesn't paralyze us, but I think it also gives us a phenomenal sense of grace toward people that make decisions that are different than ours because, hey, there are a lot of people who believe death is the worst thing that can happen. And when we see it from their perspective, there are a lot of people that have a lot of different, um, even within my own church, there are people with a full r- range of health concerns and past experiences and behaviors and pre-existing conditions. And, and man, am I grateful for the vaccine for them. Um, and uh, also, so just,
2: well, I mean, and, and it's worth pointing out, just in kind of in, in closing here, Nathan, I, I'm not... Uh, I'm not opening any new cans of worms or anything like that, but there is there is some precedent for matters of protocol and scripture. I often think when when Paul when he specifically talks about the way we we handle our Christian freedom and liberty mm-hmm. and the way that yeah. affects other people. I mean there's a, there's a lot of course sp- thats specifically said in in Corinth- to the Corinthian church about meat that's sacrificed to idols, for instance. And that's a, of course a, a peculiar, area of cultural conflict and tension in their in their own day but in our day we might apply we can apply the spirit of that thought without you know completely just grafting it on artificially we can apply the the spirit of paul's thought to something like mask mandates vaccine mandates in the workplace and another and in other environments and the basic spirit guiding his thought is that we want to do we want to do everything to the glory of God but we also don't want to cause anybody else to any kind of temptation in their life we don't want to push them into any kind of behavior that will hinder their own spiritual progress and so that might mean in certain instances that some of us have do make decisions that we're not quote comfortable with and that's okay or or we we abstain from certain things that we're not that we would rather do so does that does that make sense? I think that's a consideration oh, that yeah. I, I've so, wanted to I kind mean, of bring in here as well.
1: You think a mask mandate is tough? Paul circumcised Timothy. Um,
2: oh yeah. <laughs> in order,
1: in order, <laughs> what body part would you be willing to have chopped off in order to preach the gospel more effectively? Um, the so no there are times in which in which we will give up our freedoms. There will be times in which we do things that are unnecessary for us, for the sake of the other. On the other hand, I think there's a tremendous amount of freedom to say, like for example, in the in the eating meat to sacrifice to idols, God fearing, faithful Christians came out at different places on that, and could respect each other for it as long as they weren't being hypocritical and the difference between what they said and what they actually did. That was the little Paul and Peter tension there. Um, so. There are there are elements like this where we... So that that would be one of the places where we can evaluate. It's not just our response to fear and death. It's our response to difference that enables us to have right. a Christian distinctive here of saying, it's a fascinating thing to go to church with a couple hundred people, um, as I'm sure most people do on a Sunday morning, that have a wide range of stances on this. Because nowhere else in culture right now do you see such a diverse group of people on any spectrum, almost, um, much less on, on vaccines, mandates, pro vaccine, you know, um, worshiping together. And so I think there's yep. a, there's a real point yep. of, of witness here when I say, Hey, here's the choice I've made and there's the choice you've made. And I can see why you made that choice and you can see why I've made this choice. Onward we go. And so that's, uh, I think what we're doing is a, is a call for contextualizing the actual risk of our lives which is more risky when we're we're not being um when we're clinging too deeply to the things we're afraid of or to fighting them and that doesn't open us up to follow Christ well or when we're doing so in such a way that we can't see things from other people's perspective and appreciate that too. I don't think we've really uh sorted too much out, Cameron. I think we've put a couple labels on things that are helpful for me to think through, so I appreciate uh doing that with you and um I don't think this conversation is over by any stretch of imagination. So we'll continue to sort through this for the rest of our lives.
2: Absolutely. And thanks for hanging with us for this long and meandering, hey, once again, we didn't do this to you, you did this to you. You wanted more, you have more. But just in case you 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 forgot You always
1: take that risk when you listen to this podcast.
2: That's right. And it's not a reckless risk, by the way, but in case you you sort of got you forgot as <laughs> as you're listening in this long conversation, this is Thinking Out Loud. And we're so glad that you're continuing to tune in. And by the way, we wanted to remind you that we are now not just a podcast, but we are a ministry that does a podcast. So if you want to know more about what we do, if you want to read some articles by Nathan or myself or my dad, Stuart McAllister, you can head over to our website, www.thinkingoutloudtogether.com. That's thinking out loud together dot com because we are actually all in this together and if you appreciate what we do if it's benefited you in in some way if you enjoy it then you might want to consider donating to us you can go to our website and click donate and also spread the word tell your friends to help it make make us go viral it's bad to say that word i guess in the context of this particular topic on, on this podcast but hey you know yeah. what we mean give us the benefit of the doubt. And by the way, if you really like what you hear as well, consider leaving us a review. It really does help. But we really appreciate you listening. And thank you for Thinking Out Loud together with us.
0: Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book one of our speakers or make a donation. Visit thinkingoutloudtogether.com. And lastly, If you'd like our podcast spread the word and please consider leaving us a five-star rating. It really does help.